0: Okay, um, we're gonna before we get into uh, back into our survey uh, of the Bible, we're gonna be you know picking it up at First Timothy, and we're gonna take a few weeks to talk about uh, the Trinity Bible Fellowship statement of faith, our statement of faith. And so we have the handouts with the statement of faith there by the donation box. So if you could pick up one, that would be great. And, um, and so we'll be talking about this for a few weeks, and then we'll get back into our survey of the Bible. Also, I, I think I have the first first Sunday of each month is my turn on sun, 6 p.m., and uh, Tim Porter agreed to share his testimony, and um, so that'll be the first Sunday of February at 6 p.m. right here, and so if you feel led to, to, to attend that, we might be doing that... Uh, uh, more often, so if you, others have a, their, their testimony, how they came to the Lord, how the Lord changed their lives, uh, you know, just pray about that and uh, give us a chance to see where, um, you know, the differences that Christ made in our life. I know with myself and with quite a few people here that uh, before we came to Jesus, we were very, very different. Some of us were victims, some of us were victimizers, most of us were combinations of both. And, um, and then the Lord Jesus changed us. And there's, there's some of us here that are really good friends that probably would have nothing in common if it wasn't for Jesus. And so King Jesus uh, brings us together. And um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And, uh, and then we'll uh, start off with a passage in uh, Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah 44, verse 6. But let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer. Father in Jesus' precious name, I Lord, I, I just thank you for the people that are here today, and I thank you that um, that we love you, and we're trying through the power of the Holy Spirit to love you with everything we've got, like you command, and we're trying to love one another, not just as we love ourselves, but love one another as your Son loves us. And um, so I thank you for this uh, this body of believers. And uh, I pray, Lord, that, you know, right now there's sermons that are going to be preached um, in in churches, mostly small churches, but even some larger churches throughout the country, churches that are not compromising, churches that are standing up for your truth. Amen. And so I thank you, Lord, that there's still a remnant in Bremerton, and it's not just people in this church. There's a remnant in Kitsap County And they're meeting in other churches as well. Some of them are meeting in the homes. And they don't want fake news. They want your truth. They want your word because they love you. And so I pray, Lord, that the people who are here today would not be disappointed. I pray that you cancel the fallible man. And I was a big-time fake news guy before I came to your son, the Lord Jesus And so I pray you cancel the man and that you would anoint me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And then I pray, Lord, that um, you'd empower us to apply these truths to our lives, that we would obey you not just in our outward actions, outward behavior, but even in our thought life, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds so we'd be pleasing in your sight, and we would build your kingdom, and not our. You, not ourselves, and live for you, and not live for ourselves. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Um, churches, all churches, should have a statement of faith. Um, Bible colleges, seminaries, should have statements of faith as well. And what that does is it keeps you on on track. It keeps you on the right track. It causes you to realize that, hey, these are the things that we stand for. Now, a church does more than preach John 3.16 every single Sunday. So a church needs to deal with more than just what must I do to be saved, but also how can we grow in the Lord and what are those, the most important doctrines taught in the scriptures, okay? I mean, the, the Bible teaches that Judas hung himself. That's an important fact, but that is certainly not as important as uh, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, okay? So all of God's word is true, but what are the most important truths that healthy Christians should believe? And that's what a church is supposed to do. A church is supposed to be like a hospital. You know, how many of us know people, you don't have to give me a show of hands, it's probably all of us, but how many of us know people that don't go to church because the church is filled, so the people say, well, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if that's a good argument for not going to church, then this would be a good argument for not going to the hospital. I don't want to go to the hospital. There's a bunch of sick people there. Okay? Churches are for people who are spiritually sick. And guess what? If uh, you haven't received your resurrection body yet, if Jesus hasn't changed you in a twinkling of an eye, then he's still working on you. You need to assemble with other believers and uh, be equipped for service because we're all on a mission from God. And, um, you know, what would you do if you were an employer, you had a business, and you're doing an interview with a guy who wants to work for you, and he wants that paycheck. And you know he wants that paycheck. But then he tells you, he says, oh, yeah, you ask him, well, Everything sounds great. Do you have any questions for me? And the guy says, Yeah, yeah, I do. What's the bare minimum I have to do to not get fired from this job? Okay? Would you even want to hire the guy? Okay? Yeah, that's what we, we, we do. How many times do we witness to somebody and say, okay, look, look, what's the bare minimum I have to believe and do to get away with calling myself a Christian? I mean, you're off to a bad start already, okay? I'm very doubtful that, okay, that some, I don't think the angels are rejoicing because I don't think this dude really came to Christ, okay? And, um, and so what I want us to do is look at our statement of faith, okay? And I'm going to try to give you some of the verses. They're not listed there, so you might want to jot some of these down. And, um, uh, and I'm, I'm going to give you a few verses that support each of these 20 points in the TBF, the Trinity Bible Fellowship Statement of Faith. And um, uh, I'm going to give you a few passages, but in reality, there's dozens of passages, if not for some of them, hundreds of passages that would support each of these. Okay, I mean, there are complicated issues in the Bible. What we're going to cover today is not really that complicated. It's just real clearly taught in the Bible. Now, there's going to be some controversial issues where our church takes one stand and other churches take another stand, okay? Um, that's fine. That's what makes a, a church. I mean, if you're, you know, if you if you feel led, to, if you think everybody should speak in tongues all at the same time throughout the church service, you'd probably feel more comfortable in a different church than Trinity Bible Fellowship, okay? So we can agree on a lot of things, but even disagreements on non-essentials, Sometimes there's a good reason to go to a different church, okay? Depends what the, the non essential is. So, uh, you know, but, but the thing is, you know, if I had a title for this series of messages, it would be We Are Christians, Followers of Christ. And the reason why I'm giving this talk, I mean, there's this guy, there's, there's big wigs right now meeting in Davos and talking about our future, talking about how to control and run America. They're talking about if a certain individual um, with orange complexion, uh, a certain individual, if he gets elected, how can they still control the country when he's not on board with their one world government schemes? And he's not on board with breaking the back of the American economy and reducing us all to third world status. And these and he, and are non-elected, self-appointed, uh, Globalist leaders, and um, and you know the president administration has no problem backstabbing Americans and handing us off. But basically, what I you know what I want to really establish with everybody, and this is what I see as the urgency for this. Every few years we go over basic Christian beliefs. We have to know who we are. I mean, you got people calling themselves Christians that are going woke. As we speak, okay, they're doing whatever the government says, they'll do. If the government reinterprets a passage that's been interpreted one way for 2,000 years, if the government misinterprets it another way, these these other churches are on board because they're building some of these, these churches are building their own kingdom. Okay, we got businesses that don't even care if you boycott them. They're going to promote, like, transgenderism and all this other kind of garbage because they want their social credit score to be good with the globalist elites because that's going to determine who makes the billions in the future, which businesses make the billions not. You know, forget about the customer is king. You're going to be treated like peasants. And so when we stand there and the government is trying to tell us, the government's playing God, the deification of the state and the government wants to tell us you will do this or do that or think this or think that, okay? When we say I can't do that because I'm a Christian, when we say we are Christians, I want you to know what you're talking about. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And um, and so now this statement of faith... Uh, it was written in 1988, so we're talking 36 years ago and um, when I used to be a young guy. And, uh, and there, there might be a couple changes. I probably, the, the two points, 18 and 19 on the Bible, I'd probably put them as number one and number two, just because everything else unfolds from that. This is where we don't, we don't go to the New York Times to find out what we believe, okay? We go to the 66 books of the Bible, And, um, you know, this is not grandpa's America. But hopefully most of us still share grandpa's values. Because even if grandpa wasn't a Christian, he at least grew up in a nation that pretty much had Christian values and submitted to them. And, uh, And so I want us to look at this. If we are Christians, what is it that we, if we're really followers of Christ, what is it, that we actually believe so look at isaiah 48 44 and verse 6 the first point here we believe the following truths number one there is only one god i'm sorry mormons there's not an infinite number of gods and the first god wasn't first a man on a planet who progressed to godhood and mormon males cannot become gods someday I'm sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, there's not two gods, an almighty God, the Father, and a mighty God, a lesser God, God the Son. No. The Bible clearly teaches there's only one God. Many Hindus, you know, the Hindu scholars usually believe God is the universe and he's a non-personal force, but it manifests itself in many different ways. Well, many of the Hindus, probably most Hindus, believe the manifestations of God are actually gods. And so they believe in many gods. No, the Bible teaches there is only one God. And this one God is a personal God, a God who can love us, a God who can communicate with us, a God who makes commands. Okay? So the Bible teaches there's only one God. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, um, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, that should have baffled the ancient Jewish scholars um, because it's saying, look, I'm I'm God. There's no other God other than me. And who's talking? The Lord, all capital letters, so that's Yahweh, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, Yahweh of hosts. So you got right there is a pretty strong hint that though there's only one God, this one God is multipersonal. okay? I mean, in fact, you can go to, uh, but he says beside me there is, there is no God. I'm the first, I'm the last. By the way, Jesus in the book of Revelation calls himself the first and the last, okay? Now look at Isaiah 48. Starting at verse 12, it runs down to 16. We're not going to read all of it, but God is talking. Verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob, that's the nation of Israel, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. So it's obviously God. He even says that, you know, he created the world in verse 13, Okay. And then in verse 16, God is still talking. And listen to what God says. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Here's another hint. Okay? Got only one God, but this one God says, the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. And that's another hint at the Trinity, okay? But to those Mormons who say, well, whenever, whenever you read a verse, if you've ever dialogued with Mormons, say, see, the Bible says there's only one God. They say, oh, this planet. Look, there's only one God of whom we have to do. They got their little things they add to it. Well, Isaiah 43.10 is a pretty, pretty clear. Plus, when God says, I'm the first and the last, I alone am God. I mean, that's pretty much covers it all. But Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall, nor shall there be after me. Okay, that's, you know, if you weren't God from all eternity, you're not going to become him. Okay, and uh, Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will, I will gird you, though you have not known me. Uh, and so God says, look, I, I'm the Lord. I'm God, and there is no other. There's no God besides me. Now, let me say this. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, over and over again, it, it talks about the gods, And um, high-ranking angelic beings called the sons of God and called the gods, okay? But they weren't the infinite God. So when God differentiates himself from the other gods, I'm the infinite God. They're called gods because they were supposed to represent me, but instead they led people astray, so they're false gods, okay? But as far as an infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, God. Guess how many there is? One. Now that one God happens to be tri-personal, okay? But there's only one God. So, First uh, Timothy two five. First Timothy chapter two and verse five. We'll be going through this book next. The 1st Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And Paul says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to see later on that not only is Jesus the man Christ Jesus, he's also God, okay? We're going to see that when we look at Titus 2.13. Um, but there's one God, only one God. The scriptures are clear on that, Okay? The first thing you got to know, you know, the the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1-7. If you really want to start learning eternal things, you got to start at square one. And what does square one say? The very first point in becoming a wise person in the eyes of God is to acknowledge there is a God and I'm not him. Okay? Okay. Sometimes, you know, we get so upset because things aren't going our way. Oh, man, how come things aren't going my way? Well, um, you're kind of not God, so things don't always... I mean, I mean, when we're born, why do babies throw tantrums? Some adults throw tantrums. That's why you need good parents to discipline them because when an adult throws a tantrum, he usually goes to a McDonald's and shoots up, you know, 10 or 15 people. That's an adult tantrum. We don't want that. But when babies throw tantrums, you know why? They come out of the womb and they think, you know what? I got this all figured out. The whole universe was made for me. Everybody needs to serve me. And so they start throwing tantrums. And you got to f- put your foot down and say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, little one. Uh, this is a fallen creation. You better get <laughs> used to it. And uh, you're not in charge. Okay? But there is a God. That's a beautiful thing. And when you come to recognize there is a God and you're not Him, that's also a beautiful thing. Most people know, deep down inside, they know that they're not God. But they sure act like they are. And so we you know part of becoming a Christian is you're deciding I want to stop, I want to stop being stupid. I want to stop being a fool who acts like the whole universe revolves around me. It doesn't. It doesn't. Amen. But there is a God. And he sits enthroned. And he will bring justice to the planet earth. So there's a God and you're not him. We need to get with his program. So we believe the following truths. Number 1, there is only one God. Number 2, This one God eternally exists as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is even hinted at in the Old Testament, in the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit moved over the waters, okay? But, uh, and then he creates mankind. He says, let us make man in our image, and then it says that God made man in his image, not God and the angels, so God talks himself as us. The word Elohim, the singular, is El, one God. Elah means two gods. Elohim means three or more. Yet it's joined with the singular of the verse, uh, the, uh, verb bara, to create. So it's in, you could translate Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, one God who was somehow three or more created the heavens and the earth. And then God says, let us create man in our image. Book of Genesis, when, when um, the Lord is walking with Abraham, okay, and, um, and then two, uh, two of his angels go into Sodom, and then it says, the Lord, the Lord on earth, rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone, from the Lord out of heaven. That's why King David could say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So you get Old Testament hints that God is more than one person, but they, you know when Jesus got baptized, it was like, hey, what's going on? Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. you got three distinct persons. Okay, So the Bible teaches there's only one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and there are three distinct persons. And Jesus made that really, really clear on the night he was betrayed. you got to figure, if a guy knows he's going to be arrested that night and killed the next day, and he's got followers, you got to believe he's probably not going to waste his time talking about the weather, okay? He's going to be talking important stuff to them. So let's look at some of this important stuff that he said. John 14 and verse 16... John chapter 14 and verse 16. And Jesus says, and I will pray the Father. So Jesus and I, the personal pronoun, one person, I'm going to pray to the Father, second person. It makes no sense if Jesus and the Father are the same person. Okay? Uh, there used to be a church that used to meet here years before we got in here. And they taught that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the same person. And that the Trinity is heresy, the doctrine of the Trinity. But Jesus said, Look, and I will pray the Father, Jesus, that's one person mentioned, will pray to the Father, second person mentioned, and he will give you another helper, third person mentioned, that he will abide, may abide with you forever. And then he identifies him as the Spirit of truth. So Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Yet there are passages throughout the scriptures that attribute deity to each of them. So there's only one God, but this one God is three distinct eternal equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Look at uh, John 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. Again, Jesus speaks about himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons. Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he's talking about the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that's one person, whom the Father, second person, is going to send in my name, third person, and, uh, and Jesus makes it clear there are three distinct persons. You can look at John 15 and verse 26. John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, that's who the helper is, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You mean that makes no, try to make them all the same person, these verses, you know. But when I come, whom I shall send to you from me, Me, who proceeds from me, I will testify of me. It makes no sense at all. Okay? There are three distinct persons. See, the that of the Trinity, that the Trinity is true, that the one true God eternally exists as three equal eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the that of that, that that doctrine is true, is real easy. The scriptures are real clear on that. How that could be, well, that goes beyond our understanding. Say, well, you know, I'm one being and I'm one person, so if God's one being, he's got to be one person. No, he's infinite. The only thing we know about what infinite being is like is what the infinite being God has revealed to us. And one of the things he revealed to us is he happens to be three distinct persons. Okay? And... um You know, I mean, that would be tantamount to like a single celled animal. Single celled animal is one being, one thing that exists, and it's comprised of one cell. And a single celled animal doesn't have understanding. But if it did, it would probably think, well, wait a minute, if I'm one cell and I'm one being, one thing that exists, since Phil Fernandez is trillions of cells, he must be trillions of beings. Well, what's a single-celled animal trying to do, trying to drag me down to, to its level of existence? I'm not a single-celled animal. I'm a human being. And one of the aspects of being human is having trillions of cells, okay? But I'm one being, but I'm a human being. I live on a higher level of existence than a single-celled animal. God is infinite being. He lives on a higher level of existence than we do. And he tells us that he's three distinct persons. So... We believe that there is only one God and that this one God eternally exists as three equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also believe, number three, this one God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. The creator, you know, we wouldn't even come into existence if if he didn't create us. And then he sustains us, he keeps us in existence. Okay? And uh, we all know Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we find that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creating the universe. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are the one God. Um, they share the divine being, um, but you look at Colossians one fifteen to seventeen. It says something very interesting about the Lord Jesus. Colossians one fifteen to seventeen, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We're not supposed to bow before images, but when God the Son became a man, you could bow before the Lord Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God because he is God the Son become a man, and he's the firstborn over all creation. See, he's the creator, but he also became part of the creation by adding a human nature, by becoming one of us. And guess what? He is the sovereign one over all creation. He has the right of the firstborn to rule over all creation. The firstborn, by the way, doesn't have to be the first one born. The rights of the firstborn were often passed over. Reuben didn't get the right of the firstborn. Simeon and Levi didn't. It went to the fourth son, Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Same with Ephraim and Manasseh. They got switched. okay? And uh, Jacob and Esau. But the, the firstborn, the right of the firstborn, means you have the right to rule over your brethren. And Jesus, as God the Son become a man, has the right to rule over all creation. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Why? For for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So even the angelic realm he created all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. In Him all things exist. He not only gave us the beginning of our existence, but He sustains our existence. Some of the uh, philosophers who are, some of most of them were atheists, but they were called existentialists. They even realized that it's like man is just thrust, human being is just thrust into. Human beings are thrust into existence, and we don't know. If you don't believe in God, you don't know how you got to here, and you don't know why you're still here, okay? Well, that ought to be a reason to give up on your existentialism and come back to the Lord, okay? Uh, But it's as if human existence is as if you stepped off a cliff and you're not falling. And you're like, why am I not falling? What's holding me up? What is holding you in existence? The creator who created you sustains you and keeps you um, in existence. We don't have time to get into it. Thomas Aquinas, um, his third argument for God's existence is, is based on what's called existential causality. Big words. It just basically means that God is the cause of our continuing existence. He basically argues that if any finite being exists, just one finite limited being then infinite being has to exist to ground the continuing existence of finite being. In other words, just left to ourselves, we would all cease to exist. There has to be an infinite being. By the way, when you when you understand that, or you, we can't fully understand it, but when you get you get a glimpse of that, you realize you realize that you know a billion years from now. We're not going to find out. God's not going to make you say, i got to make an announcement. we bumped into another God, and this God is bigger than me, okay? How do we know there's not another God out there in existence bigger than our God? Because when you understand, for lack of better terms, when you understand what God is, by definition, he is infinite, Unlimited, eternal existence. You see, God is existence. And because he gives us existence, we have existence. Just like God is love as a source of all love, he is love, but he gives us love. We have love. The big difference between having attributes and being your attributes. Um, And... uh, So it's kind of like if God is pure, infinite existence, there is nothing that exists that could be another God or whatever, okay? We are trusting in the one who, by definition, and because of who he is, he has to exist. He cannot not exist. He must exist throughout all eternity, and he grounds everything else that comes into existence, okay? So by trusting in God, we are trusting in pure, infinite existence. Don't let the big philosophical words fool you, though. But pure, infinite existence also happens to be personal. In fact, tri-personal. That's why the psalmist could say, what is man that you would even think about him? What is son of man that you would care about? I mean, this is like pure, infinite existence, Would he even care about a little dot on a planet Earth? I mean, the Milky Way is just a dot in the universe. The whole universe is just a dot to God. And yet he would care about us. Because pure infinite existence is also tripersonal. He's The God of love. You know, why God would even care about some half Portuguese, half-Italian? Grandson of Portuguese and Italian immigrants, growing up in Essex County, New Jersey. I mean, believe me, I had loser written all over my face. Now, I'm not saying like I'm some kind of big success or whatever, but I'm saying there's a little bit of good you could say about me, and that's all because of Jesus, and because He noticed me. Yeah, you know, we we've all been places where you know, like hey, maybe you're, and you know, I'm here. I'm not talking about me. Maybe you're a high school basketball player, okay? And uh, you find out there's some college scouts in the stands, and you're just kind of hoping they notice you, okay? Maybe uh, you got invited to a party or something, and and you're new in the area, and nobody knows you, and you just kind of hope you get noticed sometimes you think, you know, I'm just going to stand in the corner and drink orange juice. This is a good, clean party, by the way. <laughs> and nobody's going to notice me and this and that. And there's a lot of us. We feel like nobody notices us. You know, we got to say goodbye to Arthur. we got to say goodbye to little Vince, Pat Fisk, and... They have to say goodbye to Aquila's mom, and guess what they were noticed, and when God notices human beings, who are we to not notice them, you know even the little people the little you know the little stinky ones um we got to try to let them know they're being noticed, even maybe you don't have to mess with them and Make funny sounds and funny faces at them or whatever, but but notice them. And so you might feel alone, you might feel better and beaten, but hey, there is a God. This one true God is three persons. This God is a God of love. This God is infinite, pure existence, and He created you. And he sustains your existence. He keeps you in existence. And he chooses to notice you. Wouldn't it be nice if you notice him back? Okay? And he might say, hey, little speck, I love you. And I want to spend eternity with you. And when you notice him, you're like, oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the universe, the God who provided salvation for us. And he cares about me. You know, there's no throwaway people in God's kingdom. There's no even throwaway people outside of God's kingdom. God loves us all. But um, man is rebellious. You know, we're rebellious. I'm hearing stories time and time again of people who are blessed by other people and they take it for granted. They constantly... I think Human nature is to bite the hand that feeds you. Every good thing we have came from God. Every bad thing we have, that was our fault. We blew it in the garden, okay? And, um, and are we grateful to God? No, most of us aren't. And that's the... According to Paul in Romans 1, that's the right at the core of our fall was that we were ungrateful. We were ungrateful. We're not thankful. And then we're also prideful. We don't want to worship God. We want to be God. So there's only one God. This one God eternally exists as three equal persons. And this one God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. We don't have time to turn there, but in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, talking about Jesus, the Son... It says he upholds everything by the power of his word. So not only did he create the universe, he upholds everything. You know, we like, we like to, uh, you know, have scientific mysteries, and then the wisest guys, some of the most intelligent guys, not wisest, but some of the most intelligent guys on the planet Earth try to explain these mysteries And usually we do a pretty lousy job. We don't really can't really figure out what they are or how they work. So what we do is we give it a name. And then we feel comfortable with it. So you say, well, why do things hold together? Why does the atom hold together? And why do our feet stay on planet? We just kinda kinda call it gravity, but I'm not really quite sure we fully understand all this stuff. I think we just that's like evolution. You just I don't know how we. I I don't believe in God, so I don't know how we got here. Um, let's just say that life evolved from non-living material, Now, I don't even know where you got the non-living material to begin with. It just popped into existence out of nothing, totally out of cause. But life evolved from non-life. Well, the scientists can you ask Well, how did that happen? Well, we don't know how it happened, but all our explanations seem to fail. We really don't know how that happened. Uh, well, if you don't know how that happened, how do you know evolu- if evolution is supposed to explain how we got here, if God doesn't exist, and you don't know how evolution occurred, then you don't know how we got here. So it ought to be either God, the big answer, or total question mark, okay? And, um, but, uh, but we like to make up big words and pretend that we explained everything, um, when in reality, uh, we've got so much of this universe that is unexplained, and, um, and you begin to find the true answers when you bow before the God of the Bible. So there's only one God. This one God eternally exists as three equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this one God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Bible also teaches us, number four, that created spirit beings called angels exist. Angels who rebelled against God are called demons. It's a little more complicated than that, but, but we'll, just, we'll just go with that right now. And uh, the demons are unclean spirits. They oppose God. They, they, they work for Satan. Satan, the highest fallen angel, is the leader of the demons. You know, God did not create Satan. He created Lucifer, who was perfect, and then he, cho- he fell. God did not create evil, okay? God created the possibility of evil, which is human and angelic free will. God's not going to force us to obey him. And we uh, uh, abused our free will by disobeying God. So evil is, is something that God created the possibility of evil. We actualized it by doing evil and choosing evil, okay? So all, everything that God created was good. You know, just read the last verse of Genesis, uh, verse 31, The God looked at all his creation, it was very good. But then sin entered the universe. So all of God's creation, we've got to stop thinking of evil as something that was created. And we have to recognize that evil is a perversion or a corruption or a destruction of God's good creation. Okay? So it's kind of like if God created a beautiful statue and then created some more stone and created a sledgehammer and created you and told you to take that sledgehammer and with the other stone make beautiful sculptures, beautiful statues, but God gave you free will, so you decided to take that, that sledgehammer, and destroy the beautiful statue that God created. That's what sin is. That's what evil is. It's a perversion of God's good creation. So God created these angels, and they were all good, but then Satan and some of his angels rebelled against God. But they're spirit beings. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 14. Hebrews 1, verse 14. Talking about angels, says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Uh, and so angels are ministering spirits. That they're, they're, their job is they're supposed to minister to us. Ancient Jewish tradition that even predates Jesus. And there's some, Paul alludes to them, this in certain passages like when humans will judge the angels in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Um, ancient Jewish tradition said that the reason why Satan, it was speculative, but the reason why Satan and some of the angels rebelled against God was because they found out that God's plan was They were to minister to lower, inferior beings, okay? You know, God made him for a little while lower than the angels, okay? And some of the angels, Satan included, didn't like the idea that God's going to create humans lower than angels, and angels are going to minister to these inferior beings Yet the humans that get glorified, you can't get glorified unless you get justified first, declared righteous by God the moment you first believe. Then God starts setting you apart for his holy purposes, sanctification. Glorification is when God completes the work in you. Your mortal body puts on immortality at the return of Christ. Okay? But but Satan and his demons, uh, his angels, they say, wait, we don't like the idea that we're going to minister to these lower beings and then they're going to be promoted and judge over us in the hereafter. And uh, now do we know that that's exactly we do know that you, we glorified humans will judge over the angels. That's biblical fact. Now is that the reason why Satan fell? We don't know for sure. We know he wanted to be like the Most high God. He wanted to be worshipped instead of God but it may have been because he didn't like God's plan. Um, But whatever the case, God created these spirit beings uh, for the purpose of ministering to human beings, especially those human beings who will inherit salvation. I like how that's uh, those who will inherit salvation. So that means because God foreknew that I would be saved throughout all eternity God knew that that means that all those times when I almost died you know real stupid stuff going back to the time I was five all those times when I almost died and all those times maybe when you almost died and we might not even know when were those times we almost died we didn't—we were oblivious to it uh, but there were powerful angelic beings protecting us now, I came to Christ at the age of 21 while in the United States Marine Corps. You know, God took me out of my comfort zone in Essex County, New Jersey. And um, um, what if I had died before I went in the Marine Corps? What if I had died before the age of 21? I would have been hellbound. But God foreknew at what point His Spirit was going to regenerate me. He knew at what point I was going to trust in Jesus for salvation. So you know one of the marching orders was the angels was keep keep this guy this guy's not the smartest guy out there or they used to, they used to say, "I'm not the uh sharpest cookie in the cookie jar, but um not the uh not the sharpest guy out there but uh but hey keep this guy alive at least until he's twenty one okay and um um uh, And so these angels are sent to minister to us. Now, they're spirit beings, but they can take on bodily form. I mean, Satan spoke through the serpent, and the garden led Adam and and Eve astray. When Satan appeared to tempt Jesus, I would assume he probably took on some type of bodily form. And um, uh, when uh, good angels have taken on bodily form and walked with Abraham and ate food with Abraham and visited Samson's parents and visited Joshua and things of that sort. Now look at Revelation twelve nine. Revelation chapter twelve. And verse nine. The dragon is mentioned throughout the book of Revelation. Well, here's his identity. Revelation twelve nine so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old so Revelation, John in Revelation is connecting us with Genesis, with the fall of mankind. So that serpent that was taught that Adam and Eve led them astray, that was Satan. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, uh, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. This is the last three and a half years before the return of Christ, when you read through this, where war broke out in heaven, and Michael, the archangel, his angels cast out Satan, his, his angels, and uh, it appears that there, you know, you read the entire chapter, chapter twelve of Revelation. It appears that one third of uh, the angels have sided uh, with uh, Lucifer in his fall, and um, so, um, so Satan, the highest. Fallen angel he leads the demons, the other fallen angels and um and there are demons that roam freely um, i mean in uh in revelation chapter twelve and verse ten talks about says then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down Satan has access into heaven a lot of churches don't teach that he was in heaven uh, accusing God and talking to God about Job. Job chapters 1 and 2. He was in heaven accusing um, Joshua the high priest and, and Zerubbabel the governor in the book of Zechariah. And here the book of Revelation says night and day he's before God's throne accusing the brethren. Okay? Yet Peter could say he roams the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In fact, when he comes up to heaven with the other sons of God, these other high-ranking angelic beings, you, you got to understand, Satan's judgment has yet to come. You know, you, you, you don't... You know, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. If Satan physically manifested himself right now we would probably be in awe of his beauty. It's like, you know, like let's say some really good-looking, uh, non-believing movie star. He doesn't walk around looking like, oh, wow, that guy is under God's judgment. He smells like fire and brimstone, like burning sulfur, and or he's got horns coming out of his head and stuff like that. we got to understand with the angelic beings... Uh, Even though they're condemned by God, their judgment hasn't yet come for most of them. Okay? Um, Some angelic beings, look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And verse 30, this guy was really, you know, he had it bad. He was demon-possessed. He was running around with no clothes on. And he lived in a house, not in a house, but in the tombs. So he liked being around dead bodies. Guy's got issues. So the guy was demon possessed. So in verse 30 of Luke chapter 8, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. So he's saying, Hundreds of demons are possessing. Uh, that guy, Jesus, ends up throwing them into the swine. So there were a lot of demons. The swine ran off the cliff. Some and and But he says they're legion for they are many, but then verse 31, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss, the bottomless pit. So apparently some angels, some fallen angels have gone so far that God said, look, you're, you're, you know, you're probably going to make it too, yuff, too rough on humans. Um, I'm going to just stick you in the bottomless pit, the abyss. Satan's not even in the bottomless pit. Satan will be chained up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years when Jesus reigns on earth. Then he'll be released for a short time, lead one final revolt against Jesus, and then he gets thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever, what we would commonly call hell, what the Bible calls Gehenna. Okay, and um, so uh, fallen angels, most of them roam freely. They still have access into heaven. They can roam freely on the earth. Even when, when Satan went before Job, God said, where you been? He said, I've been roaming the earth. Okay, and, um, and by the way, Satan and his angels, Satan is not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. Okay, We got a report once when I worked with the sub-base police at Bangor. Another Christian, a buddy of mine, told me, he said, uh, said boy, too bad you weren't on shift yesterday. Uh, we could have used an exorcism. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, a Navy-dependent a Navy wife uh, was possessed by Satan. And uh, I said, how do you know she was possessed by Satan? He said, well, she was growling, and it took several of us to hold her down. We had to put her in you know, handcuffs and tie her feet, bind her feet and stuff like that and everything. And she got sent to a mental ward in the hospital and all. But she was speaking in a gravelly voice that wasn't, didn't sound like her own. She had a lot of strength. And she said that she was Satan. And so I say, well, she might have been possessed by a demon, but I don't, I don't believe Satan was possessing her. He's like, oh, but she said, and I, said I said, look... Let's say, let's agree that she, for sake of argument, let's agree she was possessed by a demon. Do demons always tell the truth? Okay? If I was Satan, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I've already established that. and There was no, no objections, by the way. I just want to let you know. And, um, but, um, you know, if I was Satan, I think I'd have better things to do than to possess uh, a navy guy's wife at Bangor, you know, maybe I'd be messing around in the White House or maybe in the Vatican or World Economic Forum or something like that. But the reason why it seems like Satan is everywhere, okay, is because he's got his troops spread out all over the place, okay. So uh, does Phil Fernandez get messed with by demons? Yeah. Any believer, I I probably got messed with a little bit by demons as a non-believer. Satan probably said, just look, leave the guy alone. He's constantly making the wrong decisions. Just just let him keep doing what he's doing, okay? After I got saved, then Satan said, okay, this means war, okay? But my guess is Satan's got some lower-level demons messing with me. Now, even the lower-level demons are way more powerful than us, you need the full armor of God on to battle them. But the idea that uh, Satan is following me around or you around, probably not. Probably not. But Satan is not omnipresent, okay? And, uh, but he's got his demons dispatched all over the world. And, um, but whatever the case, some demons did something that was so bad they got chained up in the abyss. By the way, they might get released someday, because I don't know what the locusts are that come out of the abyss. The Bible only says that certain fallen angels that have gone too far get chained up in the abyss. Revelation chapter 9, these, these things, these monstrosities come out of the abyss and afflict man, inflict man with pain um, for a period of several months. Uh, the, realize the Antichrist uh, is not primarily possessed by Satan. He's empowered by Satan, and I'm sure Satan will possess him at times, but the dragon who is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, three unclean spirits come out of them like, like frogs, according to the book of Revelation. So who's the demon that's going to be possessing the Antichrist? The book of Revelation says the beast comes out of the abyss. So I think one of Satan's high, highest-ranking, most bloodthirsty, corrupt fallen angels went so far that God said, "Forget about him; chain him up in the abyss." Apparently, he's going to be released to uh, possess the Antichrist, this demon-possessed man who will rule the world in the last days. And um, and so I think we're going to break it there. And. Uh, What we have here, what we establish, there's only one God. This one God eternally exists as three equal persons. The one God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Uh, But that God also created spirit beings called angels. The angels who have rebelled against them are called unclean spirits or demons. And Satan is the highest fallen angel and the leader of the demons. The scriptures make that real, real clear. Next week, we'll talk about the fact that, man, humans were created in God's image, but we lost our moral purity by sinning in the garden and that we all inherit a sin nature from Adam. And because of that sin nature, we just naturally sin and we stand condemned before God. And that's the problem. And then we'll be talking about the answer. The answer... His name is Jesus. You know, he's coming out of the Christmas season, but the answer is found in that manger. The answer is found in a carpenter. The answer is found in a wooden cross and ultimately an empty tomb. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We're going to tell people that in the near future, Things are going to get really, really bad, and um, we're going to be telling people no i can't I can't join your program me and my family, we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, and hopefully Trinity Bible Fellowship will help unfold what that means, what we believe and how we should act and um by the way, wouldn't that be great if we didn't have to tell people that we're Christians? Wouldn't that be great if we were so christ like they'd figure it out okay and um but whatever the case when this when this world tries to get us to reject King Jesus you know we got to tell them how can we ever turn our back on the one who died on the cross for our sins who loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins and then he conquered death for us so my choice is either deny Jesus or death I got to choose death because I am a Christian I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus we are Christians we are followers of Christ let's close with a word of prayer Father, in Jesus' precious name, thank you once again, Lord, for these people that have taken time out of their busy schedules to gather in fellowship with other Christians, to pray together, to sing praise songs, to worship you together, and to hear and receive instruction from your word. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that, you, know, that you show us, remind us that whenever you bless us, you don't bless us so that we're blessed, you bless us, to be a blessing to others and so that right now from the the preaching of your word may we be equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit to take on whatever mission you've given us may we uh, deny ourselves our own sinful desires pick up the cross whatever mission you've given us and follow Jesus in the path of obedience you're a good God God and we love you, and we can't believe that you, pure, infinite existence, the I am who I am, Yahweh, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, it amazes us that you took time to notice us. You not only created us, you not only sustain our existence, but you notice us and your spirit calls out to us. Thank you for providing salvation for us through Jesus and empower us to live our lives for your son and to build your kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. Jesus precious